Hello and uh, welcome to Lit Hedge, the show that gives you teachers talking about lit. I'm Chris Doherty and thank you for joining us once again. If you're new to the show, we do encourage you to go and check out episodes one and two about Storm on the Island and Kamikaze. With me, as always, the Governor Pete Moss. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Chris. Thank you very much. What are we looking at today, Gov? We're looking at um, a poem called The Emigre by Carol Rumans. And actually, I actually think it's my favourite poem in the Your favourite? I think it's my number one. Okay. Um, so we'll see. And, and we have with us today um, someone who's really wrong, and that's because it's um, Shan Wright. Hello. Um, I'm really excited to be here, actually. And I second what you're saying, to be honest, Pete. Um, the Emigre is actually one of my, I would probably actually say my favourite poem nice. uh, in the anthology as well, which is why I'm delighted to be here talking about it's a, it. It's today. a mutual appreciation society mm. of Carol Rumans. Well, on that note, should we hear it? Let's go for it. The Emigre by Carol Rumans. There once was a country. I left it as a child but my memory of it is sunlight clear, for it seems I never saw it in that November, which, I'm told, comes to the mildest city. The worst news I receive of it cannot break my original view, the bright-filled paperweight. It may be at war, it may be sick with tyrants, but I am branded by an impression of sunlight. The white streets of that city, the graceful slopes glow even clearer as time rolls its tanks and the frontiers rise between us clothes like waves. That child's vocabulary I carried here, like a hollow doll, opens and spills a grammar. Soon I shall have every coloured molecule of it. It may by now be a lie, banned by the state, but I can't get it off my tongue. It tastes of sunlight. I have no passport. There's no way back at all, but my city comes to me in its own white plain. It lies down in front of me, docile as paper. I comb its hair and love its shining eyes. My city takes me dancing through the city of walls. They accuse me of absence. They circle me. They accuse me of being dark in their free city. My city hides behind me. They mutter death and my shadow falls as evidence of sunlight. Thank you for that. Right, okay, um, let's start with the broad stroke, shall we? We'll start with the, the big ideas in the poem, and then maybe later we'll zoom in on some of the imagery and stuff like that. Shan, can I start with you? When you are teaching this to a class, mm-hmm. what are the first things you're zooming in on? What are the main themes and ideas you really want them to pick up on? Um, well, obviously, if we're thinking about kind of broader themes, memory and the power mm. of memory is going to be one of the most important things, I think, that you would focus on within this poem. Yeah. And, like, when you look at the emigree that's featured within the poem, um, obviously she can leave her country physically, yeah. but not emotionally. Mm. And it's like kind of the tyrants that she talks about, they've got the power to like destroy her country, but not to destroy her memories. And she's yeah. holding on to those memories of the country that she is no longer safe in. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of one thing. And obviously we'll talk about that in a bit more detail when we start zooming in on specific things, especially sure. like the positive nature um, of the memories that she's got and how that the kind of contrast and juxtaposition that we see out. Yeah, absolutely. And when we bring, you know, we're talking about power and, and power of memory, and I think the power of the individual to, to mm-hmm. sort of shape their own um, memories and past. And it, it kind of reminds me, actually, of, um, of kind of new age thinking, actually. And mm. um, there's a guy called Alan, Alan Watts who's been dead a few years now, but he used to have this thing about how the wake doesn't drive the boat. 
In other words, right. all the disturbed water behind a boat doesn't actually affect how you're going to feel and the direction you're going in. Uh, I like that. Uh, the past can't, you know, uh, shape and affect you. You can actually create your own part. You can create your own future, as it were, and consider your past in, in more positive terms, if okay. you know what I mean. So there's your power. But also there, there's, there's obviously this inherent conflict in the whole poem. And the conflict seems to be between perhaps what's actually happening in a city and how she's still in, in her home city and how she still insists on thinking about it. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, that conflict starts immediately in, in the title because you've got, you've got two words in the title, the emigre. You've got one word, definite article, the, sure. uh, an English word from, from, English, you know, from an English dictionary. And then you've got the word emigre which is French. It's the female version of, of, of the emigrant, basically, yeah. uh, in, in French. So that, just that contrast and that kind of conflict between um, perhaps the two sides to her. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. I've not thought about that before. And, and Shen, you were talking about, I suppose, the conflict between what's real, potentially, and, and what is maybe a nostalgic or, mm. or fantasised slightly from her perspective a little bit as well. Yeah, because I think if you look at the way that she's describing the country and, and the memories that she is holding on to, it's almost kind of like romanticised. Like there's mm. almost sort of like heavenly qualities thinking yeah. about like the references to sunlight and you can kind of think obviously the conflict that's going on her internal her mental conflict yeah. in terms of adapting and getting used to the new city that she's now living in but holding on to the city that she's come from how much of this is accurate and how much of it is her like shaping these memories in order to try and think of the, the yeah. positive absolutely and you know, i think every student who, who kind of like sits down and, and reads this poem when they read the first five words they can almost be kind of like back in their childhood when they were three or four years of age <laughs> yeah. and their mother was or father whoever it was was reading to them a a kind of like a, a, a fairy story yeah once upon a time there once was a country yeah which kind of almost gives it that kind of surreal kind of it's like a fantastical tone almost isn't it like, indeed because Essentially, how she views her country is in the realms of fantasy rather than the realms of reality, which, in my view, is her right. So um, I'm always fascinated by how you take these big ideas and then really zoom in and build a bit of a, a written response. And I think a lot of the students feel the same way. So can we look maybe a little bit at the imagery then and the key bits you're zooming in on? Shanna, I'll come to you first on that. Where do you go to straight away? Um, OK, I think I'll probably start with... Um, one of the most well, one of the images that I think is quite prominent, and um, the bright filled paperweight. Yeah. And there, where she's talking about the paperweight, she's referring to her original view, as it states in the poem, of the country. Mm. Now, I think the idea of it being a paperweight is really quite significant. Now, I've had to speak to some of my students previously because they don't actually really know what a paperweight yeah, is. Yeah, of course. I haven't actually seen a paperweight before. Yeah, yeah. And um, but within that kind of glass paperweight that you've got, you've normally got like a, a, a beautiful image contained within that. Yeah. So if you think that that's her her memory of her previous country and her previous city you've got this image that's like contained within it mm. kind of like her memories are contained within yeah. her mind slightly so there's that kind of way of looking at it kind of like I, a snow globe yeah mm. that's uh, what I think protected and can never trapped. be can never be impinged upon yeah yeah i love that yeah um and yeah, it is. It's, it's protected, and time doesn't change it. It's something that's sustainable, and mm. it's. But at the same time, you've got the idea that it's a paperweight. It's something yeah. that holds something mm. down. Yeah, exactly. And it's this burden that this memory is weighing on her, and the like mental strain that having these memories is almost kind of causing. As she's holding on to the positive, yeah. but actually, it's 
being such a At weight what cost? on her side. Yeah. yeah. See, I don't personally see it. I, I don't see it that way as, as a weight, as in a weight on her. I just see it as something that's solid and holds something in place. Just mm-hmm. like this, this memory for her, which I think she takes huge comfort from personally, is, is, is held in place, fixed and secure, just as a paperweight fixes and secures things but I mean I, I take the reading that, that you're giving as well but that's just never been how I've, I've looked at okay. it because I see this poem as incredibly optimistic mm. yeah and so perhaps it's it's the thing that kind of holds her down and keeps her rooted in a new community and, and a new sort of environment that she's not familiar in potentially nice what anything else in there that you pick out uh yeah definitely so kind of continuing on if you look at the the final line of the first stanza I'm mm. branded by an impression of sunlight and I think that verb there well, use, the use of the word branded yeah. is quite significant as well absolutely mm. um, because if you think about the connotations behind that word um, obviously the kind of permanent nature yeah. of being branded yeah um, and that this impression of sunlight is something that's never going to leave her it's permanent it's there it can't be taken away it can't get rid of yes it might kind of Fades slightly over time, just like a brand would. Yeah. But but it's something that's there. But then if you think about the connotations of that, though, at the same time of, you know, think of like the slave trade being branded, mm, yeah. showing mm. ownership yeah. of animals, it has yeah. also got those connotations of ownership too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it makes me think of those memories being kind of part of her, like they're mm. hers. Yeah. She owns them. It's part of her identity. And, and I always, because obviously it's very hard to ever see the word branded as anything other negative yeah. Yeah. in any context. Having said that, she seems to take negatives and turn them into positives Absolutely. every time. Yeah. So branded by, you know, branded by the terrible things that happen to me. No, 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 no. She's branded by sunlight. Yeah. Mm. And sunlight will always be seen as positive. And, and if, if I always look at the poem as something where someone is literally refusing to accept any negatives and therefore demonstrating that by every single thing that could be negative becoming positive. Can we move on now a little bit? Just actually skip down to the third stanza sure. at this point. Uh, towards the beginning of the first third stanza, it talks about my city comes, uh, comes to me in its own white plain. It lies down in front of me, docile as paper. Where, where do you go with that when, when, when students ask? Well, I think specifically, like, the white plain image, it almost kind of reminds me of, like, a blank page mm. ready to be opened, which then connects to the docile as paper bit preceding it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the idea of docile being something that you can train, it's often referred to as, as a dog, for example, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like she's, she can reinvent her own past, um, her own personal history, as it were. Yeah. Um, a white plain like a blank page, she's not going to allow... She must have gone through a lot, this person, I think. For sure. But she's not going to allow sort of difficult things that have happened in the past to actually shape the way she feels about her past and therefore how it's going to affect her future. It's kind of like a, an anti-PTSD yeah. kind of yeah. situation, if you know what I mean. Well, when it links to sort of PTSD and, and memory in this poem, it's kind of the reverse of what you see in things like Remains, I suppose, because that idea of, of actually she's taking control of the memories, for sure. If you are going to look at um, a, a question in relation to memory for this poem then absolutely remains would work well because this is someone who's in control of their memories, in control of their past, and there is someone else who even the drink and the drugs won't flush things out, as it were. So they would work brilliantly in contrast, yes. Because there he's trying to kind of push away the memories, trying to get rid of them, but here (coughs) she kind of takes care of them Mm. and looks after them. I mean, if you look at that quotation that comes following on from the docile's paper, I comb its hair and love its shining eyes. Absolutely. There she kind of takes on this like maternal persona, Mm. like looking after the memories and, and caring for it because she wants to preserve it and they're what's keeping her... Absolutely, yeah. 
Right. I think it's so uh, important to kind of balance this out a little bit and look at the structure as well. Obviously, whenever you are writing an essay, it needs to be considering the form and considering that actually we are talking about poetry, nothing else. And and so we're really zooming in, I guess, on the techniques, the sejura, the enjambment, the structure of uh, maybe the stanzas. Um, can we start a little bit on that then? Shan, I'll come to you first. Structurally, what are you looking at? Yeah, I think sometimes students find it a bit more challenging to talk about structure than yeah, they do, they they do, do. language. But I, I think, think that's what separates the best students from those aspiring to be the best. Yeah, definitely. But I do think that there are some really, really kind of clever points that are also easily accessible. I mean, if you look at the poem, you can quite clearly see the ending line of every stanza and, well, the final word is yeah. sunlight. Yes. And we've already kind of talked about the importance of this reference to sunlight, like earlier when we were saying about being branded by an impression of sunlight. Yeah. And we've got that positive image that we keep coming back to at the end of every stanza, showing kind of the the positive image that she's got and what she's holding on to. But I think it's also quite interesting where if you look, the majority of the time, the sunlight is preceded like there's something negative that comes before it. Like we talked about branding already. Yes. But if you look at what's coming before in the second stanza, it's about the fact that the her mother tongue, her language, has been banned by the state. Yeah. And then we've got they mutter to death, but then she still comes back to sunlight. So despite all of the the kind of negative aspects and the struggles that she's going through, she still holds on to this powerful memory and the sunlight and the hope mm. that she has. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Absolutely. how this poem is actually a poem of hope and thinking forward to the future. And, you know, you think of sunlight as the dawn of a new day and a new beginning. And actually, maybe that's what it kind of links with as well. Mm. Definitely. And then students are always going to be drawn to the fact that the final stanza has this additional line. Yeah. So you've yes. got eight lines, eight lines, nine lines. And if a poet does that, then it, it, it's not by accident. There's a reason. Um, there is a reason indeed. Um, and I often like to think that, that in poetry, the, 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 the message or, or the coda, as I call it, C-O-D-A, the coda, is contained usually, uh, obviously, at the end of the poem. Mm. My shadow falls as evidence of sunlight. So it's a little, it's taking us back to the idea of branded again, isn't it? Shadows, shadows are something that you, you can't escape from. Shadows darken things, you yeah. know. You know, um, the Beatles sang, there's a shadow hanging over me. But in this instance, the shadow is not being seen in a negative way. Once again, it's turning something that would be negative yeah. into something that's as positive as sunlight. And, and that, to me, is, is, is that overall message. And I, I almost think like it's a rallying call that, that people don't need to look at their past and see them as a, a burden they have to carry around with them. Actually, yeah. you can reinterpret it and you can rethink how you feel about it because all of those things that, that cause difficulties in life actually make you the person you are today. And, you know, and if your heart gets broken, um, you know, it's the cracks that let the sunlight in as they say. Nice. Um, and uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about, Shane, if you don't mind, yeah, is, is the whole thing that's going on with the, uh, the pronouns in the last stanza, mm. um, structurally. Um, I think that's really interesting at that point. And also specifically, kind of the use of sejura throughout, drawing our attention to that to the use of pronouns that we've got there, like they accuse me, they circle me, they accuse me of being darkened, they're free city, they mutter death. And the pauses beforehand really kind of highlighting um, those those pronouns that have been used. Yeah. But it's it's this idea that she doesn't see herself as part of, like drawing attention to the they. Um, she doesn't see herself as as part of this new community. If you want to see it as the they being the new country and the yeah. people that live there, and then when it says like being dark in their free city, like she doesn't see this new place as hers. It's got that kind of sense of of detachment Absolutely, um, yeah. that the place belongs to them they're unwilling to share it with her but then that detachment is also echoed 
within the structure, with the sejora, with that kind of section feeling a little bit more broken up. Definitely. As you read it right. as and, well. and and if uh, and if the student wanted to kind of like find probably the best example of that to support uh, an answer, they'd probably look at line twenty nine, where it's my city hides behind me, sejora, they mutter death, and we've got that mm. that me and they literally juxtaposed next to each other yeah. with the full stop between it and therein lies the kind of the difference and the and the barrier between them um i think it's i think it's beautifully structured we were talking earlier it's kind of written in in, in kind of like a free verse as yes. such which i suppose helps to mirror natural speaking yes um which which you know it's this this kind of internal monologue that we're treated to in um, and links back to the storytelling that we we're talking about absolutely this 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 story of hope, I like to think. Hmm. Okay, just before we um, look at comparisons, which I know the students were always really interested about, can we just touch on a really important point about the sort of vagueness of where this poem is meant to be set and the universality of, of the message behind it? Obviously, this is not autobiographical uh, from Carol Ruman. So uh, where are you going with that? What do you say about that, Shia? Uh, yeah, well, like you say, it's not autobiographical. Rooms was born in, in London, didn't emigrate um, herself, which is kind of different to checking out my history, where yes. it is autobiographical. Obviously, we'll talk about that a little bit more so when we come on to comparisons in a minute. But I think, yeah, the universality of it is, is really quite important. Um, despite being written in kind of the early 90s and there was a lot of kind of civil wars and there was mm. a lot of immigration going on at the time, yeah. it doesn't reference one specific war and it doesn't reference one specific time period. Kind of, you know, showing that this this kind of conflict is going to stretch into the future. Yeah. And it's universal. This is going to apply to so many different people that are going through these kind of similar Absolutely. experiences yeah. as well. Definitely. And just when we're on the note of talking about this, there are sort of ways you could offer a, a slightly kind of resistant reading to this, a slightly different reading. Obviously, we're looking at dominant readings predominantly. Sure. But the poem can be seen as, as a sort of extended metaphor for the leaving of childhood. Um, that idea of there once was a country, I left it as a child, the idea of leaving childhood behind. Mm. It comes into that child's vocabulary I carried here, carried here into, into, into later life, you know, opens and spills a grammar. I have no passport, there's no way back. You know, many of us, even myself at the ripe old age of 56, would like to be young again and return to childhood. But there is no way back. Um, we, we, we are where we are sort of thing. So in some respects, you can, um, you can read parts of this poem as being that kind of like we emigrate from our younger selves um, and, and become someone perhaps entirely different. Fascinating. Should we do the comparisons while we're here then? So, uh, Shian... Which ones are you looking to try and get push your students towards potentially comparing the emigre to? Yeah, well, you obviously already mentioned remains I did. earlier. Yeah. Um, and well, they're just perfect bedfellows, aren't they're, they? Yeah, it's so I think because because they're so different. Yeah, it's perfect, really. Yes. Um, especially in terms of like both of them have experienced in really vivid, really strong memories, but mm. those memories are presented in like vastly different ways. Massively. So it's perfect really, for comparison. Not only your comparative points, but the comparative language throughout as well. Yeah. Checking out my history works well. Um, again, it has that, that positive message, doesn't it, where he's taking control. Mm. Um, but rather than sort of taking control of his past, he's acknowledging his past and acknowledging that he's been let down yeah. um, by, by the education system, essentially, yeah. and that he is going to um, find his own way and um, check, out his own, check out his own history, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> what other ones? I mean, poppies... Yeah, I mean, poppies, you could definitely look at. In terms of, like, the prominence of, of memory yeah. mm -hmm. um, and the importance of it, you can 
obviously there are some sort of differences within there. But For sure. Yeah. There are, and, and, and to a lesser extent to the others we've mentioned, war photography could work yeah. to some extent. Um, not If I was choosing, and, you know, this was a named poem, I, I'm not going war photographer over remains, no. but there are aspects of, of, of him being affected by things that have happened previously. It does bring, you know, a sense of memory in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're saying remains is the way forwards for this one. Oh, I think I, so. I, I think so, uh, if this was the name poem. Particularly if a question was asking me something to do with um, power in relation to memory. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And that's us, really. That is uh, our initial thoughts on the poem. Of course, it's plenty more we could talk about, but we won't, won't go into too much more detail with that. We hope it sparked a little bit of thought and discussion for yourselves. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it will, it will push your thoughts on the poem a little bit further. Shian, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed my time. Mm. Hope that's given you guys something to think about. That was amazing. Absolutely. I just want to echo what you guys are saying there. You mean, all we're doing is planting a few seeds here, guys. You've got to grow the flowers. You've got to grow those ideas from it and, uh, and make them your own. Yeah. I just want to say, because I... I I meant to mention this earlier, but some of the questions and things we talked about today were based on some questions from my Year 11 group, and I yes, said I'd give them a shout-out. I remember Olivia asked a question. I know there was Nicole. Uh, I know there was Elspeth. I know there was Dan. There may have been one or two others. I can't remember. I haven't got the list in front of me. But um, thanks ever so much, guys. Um, and time for us to go. See you later. Cheers, then. My day you go. Bye-bye.